Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Good afternoon. Welcome to our debate this afternoon. The debate we are for the Israel Massa Israel podcast, the Massa Israel conversation. Our conversation this afternoon is going to be focused around an issue which came up prominently in the recent election campaign and is still making the headlines today in Israel. The question that we will be debating this afternoon is one of judicial reform. What sort of reforms, if any, should be made to Israel's judiciary? Just to give a slight context, as in Israel we do not have a written constitution, so some of the checks and balances systems are a little different to the countries that many of you are listening are from. So we have two sides to the debate this afternoon. The first uh, side is Mike. Mike, would you like to introduce yourself, please? How you doing? I'm Mike. Thank you. And Kalev. Hello. I'm Kalev Bendor. Oh, I'm Michael Unterberg. I have a last name also. Show off. Okay. So Mike, would you like to give us your five-minute uh, introduction, please, and tell us uh, your five-minute opening statement and tell us what you are arguing and why you are arguing it about judicial reform? Okay, and to be clear, listeners should not assume that these are our personal positions that we're arguing. We're just debating for the sake of clarifying the issues. Intellectual debate is stimulating. Eh, we'll see. Basically, the position I am taking, and the, the current government should go through with creating this override rule. It seems to be that in the current government that was just elected in, and I don't know when you're listening to this, but we've just gone through an election season and Netanyahu has just put through a very right-wing, well, he hasn't finished yet setting up his very right-wing coalition of the Religious Zionist Party and the two Haredi parties. The Haredi parties really haven't said much about this judicial reform, but it seems to be the Religious Zionists and the uh, Otsma Yehudi Party are very gung-ho on creating an override of the judiciary, that if the Supreme Court knocks out a law that the Knesset passes, that they can vote to override the Supreme Court and reestablish that law. And I am going to take the position that that should happen. And here's why. As Matt said in his introduction, we don't have a good set of checks and balances. And we've known that for decades. We don't have a constitution. We don't have a separation of powers. The legislature has the executive sitting in the legislature. We don't have two houses in our legislature. It's a single house legislature. So everything's smushed together. Now I know it's a small country, but for democracy to work, you need those powers to be separated. The Supreme Court is deciding based on, it decided, the Supreme Court in the 90s basically decided that it was going to decide whether laws are valid based on its reflecting on Israel's laws, basic laws. What does that mean? Well, Israel has these special laws, it calls basic laws, and the Supreme Court said, that's how we will decide to validate. And there's this very vague sense. Nobody knows what it's going to be, what their decision is based on. And sometimes they make decisions that make sense. And sometimes they make decisions that seem very strange. And there, there are no signposts. There are no clear rules of the road. And so it ends up that Israel's governmental system looks a lot like Israel's driving. That it's everybody just sort of shoving each other. And most people get there. There's an occasional crash. And we need to get our house in order. And so... Whether the motivations, and I understand, just to preempt possibly uh, part of Kalev's argument, I understand that democracy 
is as much about the liberty and freedom of every individual as it is about who you know who gets to choose the leader if not centrally liberal democracy is the idea that everybody is free and you can't have such a thing as a tyranny of the majority if the majority of israeli citizens to start to pass laws against minorities you need a strong judiciary that can stop that i understand but my problem is that we've been having these arguments for 74 years our constitution was supposed to be done in what was it october of 48 and we aren't going anywhere. We bounce around, we talk about it, and anytime somebody says we need to fix X, we say, yeah, but you have to fix A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, and so you cannot fix X until everything is fixed. And I'm a little bit tired of waiting, and whether I agree with their solution or not, maybe we need to shake up the status quo. We got to break it in order to reassemble it. And then we'll have to create a more clearly defined role of the judiciary, a more clearly defined set of checks and balances. Because right now there really aren't checks and balances. You don't even have a real check where, where I come from, the United States. It's the executive nominates justices, and then the legislature sort of gives their advice and consent, it's called. But they sort of nod approval. They can say no to the president. And here in Israel, it's even messier than that. It's this mixed board, some people from the legislature, some people from the legal community, some justices from the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has no real check or balance. The legislature ends up being an unimportant minority on that panel. And so there are so many reforms that need to be implemented. I am arguing, guys, go for it. Smash it with a sledgehammer, break it, and then we'll have to fix it. That's my position. Okay. Thank you, Mike. That was very informative and well argued. Thank you so much. Kalev. So Mike touched on uh, a piece of, of my argument. I actually want to touch on a piece of Mike's argument as well, which is that that I agree that, again, the Knesset passed two human rights-related basic laws in the 1990s, the, the most significant of which is, is uh, the basic law of, of human dignity. And that was passed by, I think, 32 votes in favour to 23 against. There obviously wasn't a huge debate about it. I'm not convinced that most, obviously the Knesset wasn't full at the time. And I'm not really sure people necessarily knew what they were voting for. And the critique is correct, in my opinion, that based on that basic law, the judiciary then took power for itself to determine, it said that basic law gives us the power to do judicial review. And I agree that that is potentially judicial overreach. Now the question is, what do we do about that? And, and actually where I, where I would disagree is, Mike said that it's primarily, the Haredim haven't really spoken about it at all. It's primarily the religious Zionists. But actually the two Haredi parties have a deep built interest in smashing the Supreme Court. One reason is because the leader of Shas, Arya Deri, potentially cannot be a minister because he was found, uh, he did a plea bargain of a suspended sentence on some sort of fraud, and that it may well be that the Supreme Court are going to need to decide whether he can stand as minister. And in order to prevent that, the emerging government is going to need to smash the court. And the other ultra-Orthodox party is even more in need of smashing the court, because whenever the Knesset has brought forward some sort of compromise for uh, either compromise or surrender, you could say, for Haredim not being drafted into the army, the Supreme Court has said that that gets knocked down because it's not equal. And the basic law calls for equality. So I'd actually argue that all of the parties in the coalition very much have an interest in minimizing, if not smashing, the power of the Supreme Court. Now we get to the issue of checks and balances. As Mike said, there's an executive, there's a legislative, there's a judiciary, and and the executive, y you could argue, in many ways, controls the legislative because there are there are certain party leaders, and if they want to put something forward to pass, 
the Knesset gets in line and passes it. Uh, and so really, you've, you've only really got a judiciary versus the executive. And if what the government does is it puts in line an override clause, that all that that requires is 61, it basically means that any government, which always has 61, that's the minority you can have, any government can pass any law, and it basically makes the Supreme Court completely irrelevant. As Mike said, we don't have two houses, we don't have a presidential veto, we don't have a constitution. So even agreeing that there needs to be some sort of reform, and I think both right-wingers and centrists and even some left-wingers all agree that the current situation doesn't quite work, going at it with a sledgehammer in some ways simply gives all of the power to pass any law that anyone may want in the hands of basically the leaders of Likud, Otsmayudit, religious Zionism and the two Haredi parties, and there would be nothing to stop them from passing anything that they wanted. Okay, thank you guys for both giving your perspectives. So I'm going to start with a question to Mike then. Mike, the analogy used of smashing it all down with a sledgehammer mm -hmm. and beginning again, I think, is there not the concern that what would be created afterwards would be a system that would be prejudicial to the people who are creating that system or the people who are holding the sledgehammer? Would that not create more problems? Absolutely. It would be a democratic disaster. And first of all, just let me respond. I don't know why Kalev was responding to me in his opening statement, but I, I wasn't saying it's not in the interest of the Haredi parties. I'm just saying it wasn't a platform they campaigned on as Muslim. Of course, it's in their interest. But yeah, it would be an absolute disaster. And I don't believe the power is a battle in a democracy between the judiciary and the executive. I think the power rests with the people. And I think the Israeli people would, I'm not saying armed, rise up. But a, a government that overreaches to the extent that it creates that kind of totalitarian regime. In other words, we'd be facing a possible fascist governance of one party control, and it would be a disaster. So let's bring the problem to the brink, and the people will not stand for it. And heads will roll, the government will collapse, and we'll have to go back. The problem is this, as I see it. We need governmental reform. Who does governmental reform? The people in the government. They're the people with power who like the status quo. And so it's never in their interest to do it. If we instigate a big enough crisis, then they will have to come up with rules of the road or they will not be able to maintain their jobs. I, I can't think of any other way to get there because I agree with Kalev. This is not a, a viable solution to just have a supreme power executive. That's, that's fascism. But that will lead to such a, a disastrous collapse. I, I think left, right, and center, people will not want an actual King Bibi. And by the way, I don't think Bibi would be happy with a King Bibi, ultimately. And so, yeah, I, I think it would be terrible. But I think that's why I'm saying sledgehammer. It may be the only way to get to the outcome of articulated, fair rules. And here, I, I agree with Khalid. You know, 61 override is, is crazy. But there are lots of checks and balances that could be put in. And you can have an override, maybe make it 80, or I, I don't know what. In other words, I, I'm not saying this is where we would end up with this ridiculous, completely unbalanced system where all the power in the government flows to the executive. But I believe in the people enough that in Israel, an overpowered executive will be dismantled by the people until they create better rules. Okay, thank you. Khalid, my question to you is one of the arguments that I've seen that the politicians who are pushing for this have made is, well, we just want to enact the will of the people. We were voted by the people to do what they want. And this self-appointed court is getting in our way of bringing the will of the people. So is there something to be said for that? That if people have voted knowing what the platforms of religious Zionism, Otsmayudi, they could have been, surely they should be able to enact their policies which they were voted on. 
So there's a couple of words you used, Matthew, one of which was platform and one of which was knowing, which I'm not convinced was the case for the majority. I don't think that's why people necessarily... There's an interesting debate of why lots of people who don't necessarily share the views of Jewish power and religious Zionism ended up voting for them. I do think judicial reform is important for people. I'm not convinced that in the coalitional type of system we have, people vote so clearly for what a coalition could promote. I do think that there's an interesting argument about why should self-appointed judges. And as Mike said, the, the, the selection committee, there's nine people in it. Three, you need seven out of nine agreement to vote in a justice. Three of the people on that committee are Supreme Court justices. So there is a argument, which I think does have a certain amount of legitimacy, that it's chaver mevi chaver, friend brings a friend. They've, they've themselves got a veto. The argument against it is that in some ways, Everyone's got a veto because there's also four politicians on that thing. There's also two people from the Bar Association. And what seven out of nine means is it means there needs to be some sort of consensus in terms of choosing the justice. But the idea that elected officials should be subservient to justices who just decided that based on a basic law that was passed by 32 to 23, that they should have judicial review. I, I do think there is something to say for it. And that is why I'm not convinced Mike and I disagree over the concept of an override law, but there are a wide range of options for override. As Mike said, you could have 80. As in, in other words, the Knesset requires... This is a debate podcast, and I disagree that we don't disagree. Just How does one moderate a disagreement about a non-disagreement when they're not disagreeing? You're doing very well. You're doing very well Thank so you. far. Thank you. you. You would need 80 MKs to override the court or you need 70 MKs or the court could postpone the issue until the next election. And then that's what kind of people are voting on. There are lots and lots of different ways of doing it. Ultimately, I guess, and this is, I guess, a subjective question of how do you ensure proper checks and balances? And there are many people on the right who would say that what we currently have is a dictatorship of the elite justices and the argument against an override of 61 is that it then creates in some ways a, a dictatorship of certain, they, they might be elected officials, but that doesn't mean they can do whatever the hell they want. Okay. All right. Thank you. Would you guys like to ask each other a question briefly before we move on to closing statements? I have a question for Colleen. Okay. I will say, I also addressed your question that there's the concern of tyranny of the majority. The majority of people in Alabama vote that black people can't go to the same schools or bathrooms or restaurants. The Supreme Court can come in and say, well, that's not okay, even though the majority voted for it. I believe judicial review is important and valuable. My question to Kalev is, how are we going to get there? What about my problem that we've been talking about needing to fix these rules of the road for 74 years? If you're saying, let's not do this, let's, let's stop this from happening— Aren't you basically saying, let's stay in the mushy status quo, which makes no sense and nobody's happy? How are we going to get to the point where we have sensible judicial review and constitutional rules of play for governance if we don't break it first? So I think until the 90s, I'm not convinced there was necessarily such an opposition to judicial review. And, and in some ways, it comes back to Aaron Barak, who was, who was a former president. By the way, someone mentioned Netanyahu. Barak once said, Aaron Barak, not Ehud Barak, Aaron Barak, the former C, uh, chief Supreme Justice, said that, that Netanyahu is one of the greatest defenders of the court. Now, I do think that Netanyahu is relatively, I mean, he's conservative with a big C, but he's also conservative with a small C about tearing up the court. Don't think that's where Netanyahu necessarily wants to go. The added complication is that he's standing 
in three corruption charges, uh, which makes it even, which makes reforming the courts even more complicated. I do think since the 90s, there is an argument that the court has overreached. Defenders would say that actually over the last 20 years, or over the last 25 years, there's only been 20 cases in which the Supreme Court has actually pushed back against the, against the Knesset. I would like to think that we should be able to create some sort of consensus amongst all the parties for how to go about this. But I also wonder whether this debate is also victim to what's happened to Israeli politics in the last not sure how long, which is that consensus has collapsed. A lot of it, if not all of it, is about identity politics. And that in some ways, everyone's sitting down and saying, how are we going to do this? Let's try and pass. And there have been attempts in the past to pass a basic law, Knesset legislation, um, which has failed in the past. But in some ways, that would be the way forward. And in the Bennett-Lapid government, they began doing that, but they only invited, either they only invited the people from the coalition or they invited everyone and the opposition boycotted it. But in some ways, this debate and many other debates has fallen foul of our politics at the moment, which makes it impossible to come to any sort of consensus because what is good for me is automatically considered to be bad for you. Okay, thank you. So you will not answer the question. What was the question? <laughs> How do you expect us to get there? I expect us to... initiating to, the crisis. Well, your crisis puts a huge amount of faith in the Israeli public in, in, towards some sort of revolution on the street. No, I understand that you don't like my solution, but you're still answering the question. I have at least a way to get to... My way of getting there is to find consensual politics towards passing a basic law of Knesset legislation. I do think that there's enough... I was going to say I think there's enough sane people, but I'm not. Maybe maybe there's not. But I, I think we should be working towards some sort of consensual basic law of Knesset legislation that includes the Supreme Court in that discussion to try and find a better balance between the branches, which is not going to be found by a 61 override, which the emerging government is promoting. Okay, I have a lot of questions about what you just said, Kalev, but it's not my job right now to ask those questions. So, Kalev, do you have a question for Mike? I'm happy to pass my question on to give you the power to ask me another question. Or Mike. Uh, Moderator reform. Wow, okay. Without a sledgehammer, do you see? Do you see, how e see how easy it, yeah, you see how easy it is? But Kalev, maybe the listeners are now going to rebel. You don't know. There could be a revolution going on here. Um, my question then is, one of the things you said, Kalev, which was in terms of how consensus politics has really almost disappeared right now in Israel. We saw the election campaign, very divisive, very identity-based. And then you had hope that there would be a consensus to come together to make some sort of Knesset law. But if the consensus politics has meant that there's, it's so hard to find a consensus on any issue, where is that consensus going to come from? It may come from such an extreme example as the one that Mike was giving, or is there somewhere else it can come from? I mean, Mike's bet is pretty dangerous in some ways. I might even say that it's... Danger is my middle name. <laughs> I thought Undermountain was your middle name. No, my little name is actually Naftali, which means struggles with whatever. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Metaphorically, it's my middle name. You can name. have more than one middle name. All right. You know, every, everyone's got their... What was, was it? Amichai? Was it Amichai who said, you know, everyone has three names, the names their parents? Oh, oh, oh. What is it? The, you you yeah, probably yeah. know this better than me. I don't. The Echad. Yeah, the, the, the name given to them. By their parents. By God and a secret, yeah. And the name that they take for themselves. Do you, do you know this, Matthew? I, I have heard that, but I will point out, I believe there's actually a limit to how many names you're allowed on your Tudat Zahut. Well, I don't think danger is going to be on the Tudat Zahut, but I do think that in 
for our purposes, we can absolutely refer to you as, as Danger as a middle name. I had a friend who was told he had too many names and he had to lose one of them on his two dots of hope. What was the name? I don't want to publicly say, but <laughs> I'll tell you afterwards. I see. Okay. Well, uh, you know, your imaginary friend, I'm sure things were very difficult for them. <laughs> Mike's bet is extremely dangerous. And I, I think we should add, there are lots of people who, who maybe w- would just take the argument, yes, 61, not even because it's going to break the system and lead to rebellion. 61, because the power should reside in the elected legislative and it currently doesn't. I just think Mike's bet is very dangerous. And I think there is an argument of, you know, this this is the government that's been elected. Let them govern. Let's see how bad things get uh, before it collapses. Until we get there, things could get pretty ugly. And I, I'm worried about that ugliness. I don't like ugliness. Okay. I feel like well, you, you didn't like me. <laughs> I've told you, you've got, you've got a face for radio. I've yeah. said this before. Wonderful podcast face. I, I feel like you didn't address the question then of... Again? My, my, we're going to have to hold you accountable. Um, At least once. <laughs> I told you what was wrong with Mike's uh, point. Yes, but I'm asking... It's, it's sailing extremely close to the wind. I'm not disagreeing. I'm asking how you're going to get to the consensus when there just seems to be no consensus. I, I, I believe in old-fashioned, reasonable dialogue with people who are mamlachti, they're, they're, they're statesmanly, and I believe that in the end that will ultimately lead out and, and provide a... a, am, I a, a am I allowed to respond to that? Sure. Okay, thank you. I think Mike's is dangerous and yours is unrealistic, but that that's my personal view. Danger and laughter are his middle names. <laughs> he laughs. And, and Naftali. He laughs in the face of danger. Okay, well, I think this afternoon's debate has been an interesting Wait, one. can I have a closing statement? Oh, sorry, I forgot the closing statements. Is it fair to say you closing statemented? Or do you have another one? I've closed. You've closed. I just want to say, and I absolutely want to acknowledge that what I'm saying is dangerous, to remind the listeners that these are not necessarily positions we completely believe in. The problem, as Kalev keeps pointing out with the structure of debates, is that we're educators and we don't have strong, extreme positions on things. We like to explain things holistically. And so we're not, by nature, debaters on issues. And 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 we do have consensus. So on, on, on most issues, such as the idea that Israel should be a democracy, as crazy as that is, the concept of this debate podcast is still debates within the Zionist world, which I would argue has to be framed within at least the Declaration of Independence, which demands that Israel stay a, a, a Jewish democracy. Kalev signaling, he still wants to signal. So, but well, let me just make my closing statement. I think that if you look at the, if you, from the Magna Carta on down, these structural corrections are usually created in the wake of a disaster. In other words, it takes a calamity to bring people to reform. Now, what I'm saying is absolutely dangerous, but in arguing this position, whether I agree with it or not, what I'm saying is bring on the disaster because that's the only way we're going to break the logjam. And people need to be pushed because people feel the the current, what I'm saying is it may not only cure our lack of rules of the road, it may be the beginning of turning our back on the identity politics and the politics of zero-sum gains. It may turn us back towards, when we see what happens when you take the gloves off, it may make us want to put the gloves on. That politics has to be a rough business, but it shouldn't be this ridiculous battle of nonsensical. It should be about building consensus. Politics should be about addition, not about division. And it may be that it's going to take this government to get us to the crisis point to get us there. Okay. Oh, I thought you wanted to add something. I did. I don't need to. Oh, I made the point. I was going to make a different point. I was just going to say that democracy, in some ways, is a bit of an umbrella term, mm-hmm. and I wonder if, in fact, what you meant was was liberal democracy. Yeah, absolutely. Because democracy doesn't necessarily say what the role of 
the judiciary versus no, the legislature should, should, should be. Uh, and, and there is the argument that the Matthew brought before in terms of a question of, we had elections, they were free and fair, people got elected, let them govern the country, whatever no, they subsequently did. I'm not arguing did. for the Athenian model, I'm arguing for the Jeffersonian, Madisonian model, not the... We'll provide a link to explain. I'll pretend, I, I'll pretend I know what that means, and Matthew will provide a link to explain it to other people. Um, okay, so thank you, guys. This was a, a very interesting conversation. I certainly learned a lot and enjoyed hearing you guys presenting different plans for hopefully how our wonderful country can move forward and in, into positive waters. And thank you, Mike. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Kalev. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel in all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.